Good morning to you. Take your Bibles if you would, and let's finish up the 10th chapter of Luke this morning. We've been in a study of Luke. It's been very, very thrilling for us, and come to the final section of Luke's chapter. And sometimes when we read and we study Scripture, we come across passages that in and of themselves are fairly short, and they seem easy to grasp on the surface, and of course, uh, we, we, we gather up a few practical principles, we outline them, and it seems simple enough to apply them. And with these kind of texts, we might run the risk of uh, taking some of those more obvious thoughts and consider them, and then we're on our way to the next issue in our lives. But as you always know, around Grace Emmanuel, we, we believe there's a danger in skipping across the surface of these things, because the Lord wanted us to think them through carefully. It's good to do quick surveys of God's Word, and, and sometimes the most obvious truths are, are really um, so necessary for us to hone in on, the more easy-to-see principles. Reading large portions of Scripture is great, surveys of the Bible are great, and there's even a, a sort of a, a cumulative effect when you study God's Word, you begin to learn principles so that there's this buildup of this depth, and when you come to other passages, you can see the truths that unfold from those texts more readily. We understand all of that. But make no mistake, the well of our life, the well of our hearts, does not deepen without further drilling and digging. So we come to a text of Scripture which reminds us once again of the wonderful way the Spirit works through an economy of words. This is God's Word, and the eternal nature of God's Word reminds us that it is inexhaustible. Its riches, if spent enough time with, are impossible to mine out to the end of them were we to have a thousand earthly lifetimes. The longer we spend learning and obeying the truth, the more we discover the greater riches that are there for us, and one outshines the truths we've learned previously, and so... If you want a key to accelerating your spiritual growth, it's simply this. It's especially important to learn how to look beyond the surface of texts, which are applicable on their surface. But over time, when you look beyond the surface of the Scriptures, you learn how to properly diagnose your life and to look at your heart a little more closely and identify the problems and even get to the place where you can troubleshoot your own issues and even prevent sin in your life that's what I want to do this morning as we finish up this 10th chapter of Luke. Right at the end of the chapter, and this short narrative is so familiar to most everyone who's heard any Bible teaching in almost any context, it is the little story of Martha and Mary. And whenever you hear the names Martha and Mary, already your mind no doubt jumps to certain memories of having heard sermons on this, and maybe... You're already thinking, okay, today we're going to hear about the task-oriented person versus the relational individual. Or maybe your mind is jumping to the idea of the busy life versus the contemplative life, which in the medieval period uh, you know, became really the standard application of this portion of Scripture. But whatever your particular history and application of this story, though I don't promise some unique insight you've never heard before, I do want to us to understand what's at the heart of this little vignette in the life of our Lord. And if I were compelled to boil everything down to one core principle 
and a primary implication, the core principle would be this, that no matter what good and necessary things fill up our time in our lives, none of those things should ever be allowed to eclipse our intimate relationship with the Savior. The core principle here is that no matter what good and necessary things fill up our lives, nothing should ever be allowed to overshadow or be a barrier to or eclipse our intimate relationship to Jesus Christ, the Savior of our souls. You say, if that's the core principle, what's the core implication? I'm glad you asked. Here's the core implication. If the person of Jesus Christ then is the most captivating object of our desires, then nothing should ever be a rival to his personal discipleship. Nothing should ever in our lives be a rival to the personal discipleship of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. We should always be every day uh, under this awesome humbling reality that it is a privilege to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk intimately with the Lord Jesus Christ, and the more deeply we grasp the truth of this great privilege of grace, the more humble we become as a disciple. The more interested we become in everything about him and what he says, the more we want to learn it, the more we want to go to school on it, the more we want to trust in it, the more pliable our heart becomes in order to yield to what he says. If Jesus Christ and his personal discipleship is what captivates the believer most, then his words are all that ultimately matters. What he says what he wants us to know, what he says reality is, what he thinks about everything. To learn it, to trust it, to make it our conviction, to yield to it, to, to trash everything else we think, to, to shape and mold our opinions and set aside anything that might get in the way of what the Lord wants and what he, he wants us to believe and to hold to. That's the core principle, just giving it to you ahead of time, and its implication, its core implication. So I've entitled the sermon, Totally Absorbed in the Words of Christ. Totally Absorbed in the Words of Christ. Let's look at the narrative at the end here of the 10th chapter of Luke. Verse 38, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? And tell her to help me. The Lord answered and said to her, you know it well, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, 
which shall not be taken away from her. Here is a wonderful little story, and uh, we've thought of it, read it, contemplated it, heard sermons on it, teaching on it, and as I said, the core principle and core implication really don't change, although there are all kinds of angles from which to look at it, all kinds of ways that when you get behind the core principle and its implication and begin to think about it, all kinds of ways the Spirit of God does surgery in our lives. But I want to just walk through simply the the narrative and note a couple of things. First of all, Jesus is welcomed by his dear friends here, and this would be familiar to those of you who've been in the study of Luke chapter 10. You remember when Jesus sent out the 12, and then he sent out the 70 associates of the 12, what did he say? You go into a town and village where I'm telling you I'm going to visit, tell them I'm coming, and tell them the Messiah is bringing truth, and wherever you find a home, what? That welcomes you. Wherever you find a home that's... uh, receiving, receptive. I want you to camp out there. I want you to make it a staging point for ministry. I want you to eat their meals. I want you to bless them. I even, he said, want you to heal the sick as a demonstration of the kingdom power that is near them and upon them. I want you to do that, he said. So what you note, first of all, here is that Luke has included the narrative here. He's the only one that does. And he does it, of course, almost as one of those little, you know, when you create those dioramas for your kids, you know, you sort of open up a little window. We used to make them when we were kids, a little shoebox, show a little scene and some sort of narrative. That's, that's basically what's happening here. Luke has opened up a little scene of what a home looks like where the Lord was indeed received, made friendships, and even dear, beloved friendships from which then the staging of his ministry could take place in some pretty remarkable ways. I also find it rather practical and helpful to know that in a home that even welcomed the Savior, it's a pretty real place. It's a pretty real home. We're just uh, people. <laughs> and we're saved by grace. And when you go into each other's homes, you note that, that everybody is still just human. And we still work through the daily issues of life even when we're wanting to serve Now, Luke doesn't name the town, but simply calls it a certain village, verse 38. But we know that in this village, Jesus is welcomed into the home of Martha. And we know from John's gospel, chapter 11, verse 1, that that Mary and Martha lived there in the town of Bethany, just a couple miles outside, or at least just beyond the base of the Mount of Olives there. And Lazarus, their brother, also lived there. There are five other places outside of Luke where Bethany is mentioned in the Gospels. You remember Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead not long before his crucifixion, John 11, 1 to 46. And then only one week before his crucifixion, Jesus entered Jerusalem as the hailed Messiah, and he entered by way of this little village, Bethany. Mark 11 tells us that. Jesus lodged in Bethany during the following week after he had entered, Uh, Matthew 21 and Mark 11 indicate that. And this is also the place where Mary lavishly anointed Jesus with that costly perfume at a dinner that was being hosted in the same village by Simon the leper. That is told to us in Matthew 26. 
And then one final time was that Jesus ascended after having met with his disciples. He ascended from near Bethany, Luke 24, verse 50. We don't really know if Luke takes this event from some other time frame and just sort of drops it right here in the narrative to make this particular point or some other point or whether he was precise in the next event in the days following that challenge that came that we saw last time from the Jewish lawyer that had, that had been occurring there in Judea. As you know from our study of Luke, Jesus had spent, as I said, that <coughs> the, the time coming down along the Transjordan, east of the Jordan River, and he was going through some very pagan and Galilean areas, and he'd sent the 12 out, and he'd sent the 70 out, and while heading south, he's sort of zigzagging around from place to place, and he's either welcomed into some cities and proclaimed salvation there, or judgment is pronounced if he's not welcomed. And if this is the next days in the chronology as Jesus heads to Jerusalem, that would mean this is somewhere around four months before his crucifixion, somewhere around the fall harvest season, and perhaps even during the festivals, um, which would be why he's in Bethany and right near Jerusalem, there for the festival time of harvest, and about mid-October, perhaps even during the festival of tabernacles. It may very well be that in Martha's house, in some sort of nearby courtyard or whatever, they would have built one of the booths that Israel built annually. At harvest time, uh, these little constructed booths were structures built on the property, and it was a time, an annual reminder for Israel to come away from the comforts of home and the wonderful provisions of their life and home and their property and move into a little lean-to, a little structure, and get rid of the comforts of life and let the Lord, let, it, let them be reminded of the Lord's provision when he had delivered them out of Egypt. You can read about that in Leviticus 23. When Jesus is here in this home, we don't see Lazarus or the disciples mentioned, so it may indeed be that they're up at the center of town in Jerusalem as part of the celebration. I also believe that Luke could be perhaps connecting some thematic dots here, one of which is the receiving. This is a little diorama of how someone is received, and Mary and Martha are doing the receiving here. Jesus knew the family. He'd been very welcomed into their lives and they'd spent some time with the Lord. And for the Lord, it was some of the most enjoyable time. You know, he's a busy rabbi, and he's always traveling, and people are tugging at him. And more than the Jewish rabbis, he was all over the map in terms of just the energy expended. And he found in Bethany, outside of Jerusalem, this respite, this place where he could kind of really relax with two sisters and their brother who'd served him and cared for him and been a comfort to him. He'd come to really love them. John 11 verse 5 says, the Lord loved them. This was one of those homes from which he staged ministry. I love that. It also may be a demonstration on Luke's part, in Luke's mind, of the first commandment. We already heard the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Maybe in this diorama of this little home in Bethany, you have a little bit of that on display as well, uh, the devotion aspect. So he's welcomed by these dear friends. But then something takes place in verse 39, and we'll just say it this way if you're keeping an outline. He's hallowed by an intense student, an intense disciple. He's honored, to be sure, as a guest, but he's hallowed by an intense student, verse 39. Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. Mary welcomed him. That, that's the implication of the grammar here. She also welcomed him with Martha, but 
she spent her time listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet, the text says. So the scene is that Mary and Martha are privileged to host the Lord and Master, having him use their home as a respite for weary days is the thrill of their souls, a customary staging point. They knew how to prepare. They loved it. It was no doubt their greatest joy. He's welcomed back in. He settles in for the evening, and now he's going to dine with them. Perhaps when Lazarus returns, they're all going to spend what they had come to love about their time together. And Luke mentions that Jesus was living in the area, uh, was in the living area, rather, and he was speaking not only to Mary, who was right there, but he's likely within earshot of Martha. So he's in the living quarters of their home, and he's settled in, and I'm sure both women could hear him, but Mary was, it says, listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet while Martha was in and out. And I believe this is the whole reason this story is recorded for us. We know this because in a few moments, Jesus' reply to Martha indicates that he will not prevent Mary from doing this. So this is the issue right here. When you look at a narrative, you see the dialogue, you know the point that is being driven home by the interactions with the Lord himself. Luke puts it here not just merely to talk about uh, home life, but to hone in on this one issue because Jesus says Mary's not going to be prevented from this very thing. In fact, his answer to Martha sets forth Mary's posture as the one thing ultimately needful. It's while the women are hosting Jesus, which, as all, you, all of you ladies know, there's a lot of things that have to take place. There's a tremendous amount of preparation. Um, I know what happens around our home when Somebody is going to be coming over. Everybody pitches in. Everybody starts grabbing things. Everybody starts cleaning up. And, and why not? This is proper. This is great service. This is a way to honor someone, a respected guest. You ladies know this would throw your home into a flurry of busyness, perhaps even craziness. Some of us would have to admit. The preparation for being hospitable in a proper way. Many of you have learned it. Many of you have taught the other ladies and the other uh, hosts to do it well, uh, we all go into that mode. And while these two ladies are hosting Jesus, Mary goes into a different mode. Mary goes into a mode of absorbing what Jesus is telling the two of them. That's her mode. Of course preparations are to be done, but she is enthralled she is completely absorbed in what he's saying. Why? Because in being absorbed in it, she wants to hear it, ponder it, understand it, and deeply learn it. That's her issue. We might say the first principle in her heart is this. Everything else is inferior at this moment. Everything else is inferior, to the max inferior. She's seated at his feet. Look, hosting is needed, all the prep that goes with it, but nothing of importance even holds a candle to the privilege of being a learner at this point. A learner, a mathetes, a disciple, someone who wants to take it in. The personal discipleship of Jesus has to be the focus in our lives, even though we must do everything else. And you must choose. You must choose personario. The Bible doesn't give you a manual. 
Okay, here's scenario number 26. Refer to index page 2A, 26B. It doesn't tell you that. You must, by faith, know where your heart's at. You must, by faith, know by the Spirit's conviction what you need. And you must, in that moment, know your own tendency to be the kind of disciple that you are and perhaps grow in the kind of discipleship you need to grow in. You must determine that. Mary, in this moment, determined that being personally discipled by the master of her soul was going to require a pondering and a meditating and a listening and a careful attention to the word that was absolutely critical. And so, here's the sticking point. If things go undone, if some very important things, good things, are left undone for a while, even if you're ministering to someone with acts of service on a normal basis, and even if those acts of service aren't presented just exactly as you had wanted, good things left undone, service not as satisfying as you'd have wanted to your own comfort zone, your own level of satisfaction, those disappointments, here's the principle, those disappointments pale in light of potentially missing crucial times of discipleship with the Lord. You have to survey your own life. What are the most crucial times of the Lord's personal discipleship by the Spirit through His Word in your life? And what is it that you might have to leave undone for a time? Good things important things. Mary wants to hallow the Lord, as does her sister. But she wants to serve him by taking up the posture in this moment of a disciple at his feet. Women in Israel, you know, didn't typically do this. Um, men were sitting down at the feet of the rabbis. Women, as you know, were treated very poorly in Israel in terms of the second-class nature of it. And the thought of preaching or teaching to a woman directly, either the law of God or any part of the scriptures, was loathsome to the men and the spiritual leaders. The women learned on the outside of the wall, outside of the court, on the other side, or learned from their husbands. It was the men that came and sat down. One point, Jewish literature said, look, before you teach any of the law to a woman, you need to burn the scriptures. Can you imagine? And Jesus, in stark contrast illustrates here that all of his children, men and women alike, are learners. The privilege of personal discipleship from the Lord. Though we're different genders and therefore complement one another, men and women may be different and yet are spiritual equals in our discipleship relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no distinction. You need it, I need it. Both of us need it. Yes, there's guidance. Yes, there's spiritual maturity levels. Yes, there is um, the submission and authority relationship in marriage. Yes, there is a guidance and leadership that steps out in front on the part of a man to his wife in marriage. But both are disciples of Christ. Both must see their need. Both. It says here, she began or went on. The verb is, she went on to hear the Lord. She began and then sat there Jesus is speaking, and Mary doesn't want to miss something crucial. Jesus is instructing, or 
he's encouraging. Doesn't tell us what he says. He could be encouraging. He could be admonishing. In any case, he's expressing his heart and his burdens and, and his work with his people and his work in the kingdom plan and his, he, he knows what's coming just months later. And Mary has become utterly fixated on hearing it, on absorbing what he's saying. And she is not about, in this moment, to let anything else, however useful, get in the way of what she knows she desperately needs. The learning and growing under the moment, this moment, of personal discipleship. Is that not absolutely thrilling to see? And it's not merely an equal choice because Jesus will commend it as something that won't be taken away. She knows her need and however she translates the service, all things being equal and good and necessary things being needed, when you lay it all out, the personal discipleship of Jesus Christ to his people through his word has no rivals. It has absolutely no rivals. One commentator said, and this is, very, this is very picturesque. By her attentive hearing, Mary helped to make the seat of Jesus a pulpit, her own humble place at his feet a pew, and the whole room a chapel in which the mercy of Jehovah was proclaimed. Indeed, a very sanctuary where God himself drew nigh to the sinful heart with grace. Absolutely. Every moment with the Lord's word is like that. Every moment with the Lord's truth is like that. We read it. it it's sweeter than the honeycomb. It's, it's what you always want in your life. It's, it's life to your soul. It's food. It's everything. Job 23, 12. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. She is saying by her actions, everything else pales. Maybe we could even say a second principle at work in her life. She's hanging on every word. Absolutely. Listening to the Lord's word. This is the, this is the final turn in the text that unlocks the narrative for us. If nothing should ever be allowed to eclipse our intimate relationship to the Savior of our souls, then nothing should ever rival our interest in his word. Somebody speaking his word, where? I want to hear it. Someone is opening the word of God, I want to hear it. Someone is, my, my life gives me an open opportunity to open his word and God's going to teach me maybe a sermon I download, maybe something on the internet, maybe some spare time, maybe some reading, an opportunity to hear from the personal discipler of my life and soul himself. I don't want to miss that. Lots of things are needful in our extremely busy lives. We're busy at work. We're busy in our community relations and our life. We're busy at school. We're busy at keeping house and home. We're busy at family life and parenting. We're busy at important friendships. We're busy at our marriage. We're busy at ministry and service. We're very busy testifying of Christ to the lost. And we're even busy hosting other good and necessary things and people and events. But the word of Christ 
is above them all. What is your life like? If we opened up the diorama on your life, what would we see? Would we see that you never treat the words of Christ in your home that way? A lot of different expressions of it. This isn't about the contemplative life. This isn't about quiet times. It's about where your heart is in terms of its interest and its love and its devotion to the very words of the Savior that disciple your soul. Where are you on that spectrum? This is an interesting contrast here in verse 40. The Lord was hallowed by an intense student of his words. And then here, if you're keeping an outline, he is honored as a respected guest by Martha. Notice the contrast, verse 40. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Yeah, she's, you know, Mary is absorbed in what Jesus is saying because she doesn't want to miss it. Martha is completely absorbed in showing proper respect and honor to her most important and beloved guest. Of course this is service. Of course this is great. Wonderful. You say, well then why, why would we always think Martha needs to change her ways? Well, we're not saying she needs to change her service, but as she reveals, there is a problem in her. Notice she's drawn away, Luke says. Martha sees it as, look, we got preparations. There's a meal. This is the Lord. I don't know what his life is going to be like tomorrow, but I'll tell you this. I want to host him in a way that is so thrilling. But see, there's a problem. In Martha's heart, there's some expectations, and they don't have much to do with Jesus himself personally and what he thinks. They're all about her own comfort zone. They're all about what would satisfy her as to expecting what hospitality ought to be like and expecting how things should go and expecting what respect and honor looks like. Not all of it bad, yet overdone? Sure. Perhaps even idolatrous? She needed to think about what her sister was doing. There's, there's some divine priorities that maybe could have filtered Martha's struggle here pulled away, perhaps, by needless expectations. Good things, but needless expectations. Look, if you want a desire to host somebody and desire to show honor, that's a great thing. But if desires become expectations, if, if what you want becomes a goal to reach and everyone else must serve that goal and everything else must get out of the way until that goal is reached, because at the end of it, you're going to measure it and say, oh, I feel satisfied, we got a major problem. A desire has turned into an idolatry. And that can be true of anything. It could be true of anything. It could be true the other way, where someone wants to sit around and just contemplate and contemplate and let other priorities, biblical priorities, go by the wayside. That can become an idolatry. The contemplative life left some people out of actual service commanded by God. This isn't really a, a contrast between you know, quiet people and busy people. There is some practical import that we relate to in these two, but I think what's happening here with Martha, first of all, is that she's unsatisfied because her expectations aren't being met. And that means she was pulled away by needless expectations, good things, 
necessary things, things she could prove on a list, have to be done. But they had become expectations that were personal. They had begun to rule her. We might even say she was allowing temporal demands preeminence. Look, think about it. Ask yourself this question. Whatever I'm doing now, good and necessary though it may be, where is my discipleship with Christ through his word? How do they fit together? Is one getting trampled by the other? Because if that's the case, beloved, you gotta think about something eternal. You cannot allow good motives to rule the ultimate work of the discipleship of Christ in your life. Moreover, she's, um, Martha's got another problem. She's blinded by self-pity, notice. This is just absolutely staggering, okay? He's the Lord, she loves him, he loves her. This is wonderful, and yet I can hardly believe I'm reading this. She came up to him and said, Lord. Now, at that point, I'm thinking, wait a minute, she should have said Mary. I mean, go the other way. Talk to your sister. You're, you're crossing the Rubicon here. Lord, don't you care? Do you not care? It's emphatic. Do you not care that my sister, who it seems from the text was already serving with her, and then just left it? I mean, she's getting preparations done. She's not afraid of the preparations. But once the Lord entered the house, personal discipleship priority here. There's a moment here. I don't want to miss it. I'm going to be banging around some dishes and moving around from room to room. I, I, I can't focus. He needs to rest. I want him to rest. He's talking. I'm not going to miss a word. Forget, forget all that stuff for a minute. And Martha's upset that while Mary was serving, she, she's kind of peeled away here. And Martha's in self-pity. She's blinded by it. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Martha's, Martha's no slouch when it comes to serving. And when you get to the, the whole matter of Lazarus and Jesus coming again to Bethany to raise Lazarus, you see the same tendency. You see Martha's a go-getter. She's, she's a you know, ticked and efficient kind of woman, as we say. She gets it done. And Mary is a server. She serves. She's faithful but she, she thinks about these things differently. Uh, that's okay to have differences. What you cannot have in your heart and what we note here about Martha is that she is comparing herself to Mary and she is wanting to blame ship because her heart has descended into self-pity. Why? Her expectations aren't being met. And then, <laughs> I don't know what was coming out of the Lord's mouth at the time in his discipleship of Mary and Martha, but Martha says, tell her to help. So now the disciplee is trying to be the discipler. <laughs> Anytime you reverse that, can I just tell you that's a problem in your life? Anytime you try to instruct Jesus and try to instruct the Lord, something has broken down in the perspective? I don't know, it's just, it seems an easy equation to figure out. What's happening here? Let's just diagnose it. First, she's comparing herself to her sister. Problem, whatever the Lord's got you doing, do it. Do it with all your might. Forget about what other people are doing. 
right? Isn't that what Jesus said to Peter? What about, what about John? If, if I'm going to go and be bound up and be killed, what about John? Jesus said, if I want him to live forever, what is that to you? You follow me. You know your heart, you examine your heart, you follow Christ. She's got a problem with comparing. My sister's left me alone. Secondly, she's got a problem with seething. She came up to Jesus. Oh, she's seething. I don't, I don't know what the tone is or the attitude here, but it's self-pitying. Self-pity always leads to seething. She came up to the Lord. Thirdly, there's a problem of judging. What does she know about what the Lord's purposes is, are in all of this. And she might have thought, even for a second, if she called herself up short, well, the Lord hasn't said anything to Mary. A humble heart would have come in the room and said, guys, I'm trying to prepare here, but am I missing something? Because I see, Lord, that you're teaching Mary, and I'm missing some of it. If I got my priorities out of whack here? That would have been a good, pliable heart here. No, she's judging the Lord. Lord, do you not care? No, he doesn't. Yeah, he forgot for a moment there. He lost himself. Wow, you know. He just lost touch with what it means to care for his people. And then she has a fourth problem. She's not only comparing, she's not only seething, she's not only judging, but now she's manipulating. Instead of turning to Mary and saying, could you just come and help me, please? She says, Lord, make her do it. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> okay, she's not at her best right now. So, you see here this great hallowing by an intense student who doesn't want to miss a word of discipleship. You see this honoring of a respected guest, but it has descended into an idolatry unfulfilled expectations and bitterness. And so lastly, if you're keeping an outline, we're humbled by the one thing needful. Through Martha, Jesus' report to Martha, his answer to Martha, we all are humbled by the one thing needful. The Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. Whenever the Lord doubled up on the names, it's just so sweet. You can hear your own name ringing, can't you? Jerry, Jerry. Oh, what are you doing, Jerry? Come on, come back. There's such a shepherding tenderness in the Lord, and we need it. Uh, Everything that he did at the cross was so that he could move into our lives like a tender discipler. And he responds to her breathtaking rebuke with a pretty pointed correction. You are worried and bothered about so many things. Let me just say this. Just just if you're thinking about putting something to memory, unrivaled devotion to Christ is life's highest priority. Unrivaled devotion to Christ is life's highest priority. I'm not saying that Martha wasn't devoted to Christ, but she had lost sight. It wasn't the serving that proves she lost sight. That was a good thing. It was that she didn't know her own heart. She's the one that needed to be at the Lord's feet, listening, because her heart had wandered. 
He says you're worried and bothered. First word means you're, you're anxious or sometimes mean overly concerned. Concern is one thing. When it becomes an overrun concern, now you're in danger, if not all the way slipping into the sin of worry. The second word means disturbed or upended or in an upheaval. All Jesus is wanting to say to her tenderly is, Martha, you've missed a higher privilege. And why have you missed it? For lesser satisfactions. So you, so you get all your preparations done. Now what? You serve the meal and you go, oh, he liked the meal. Ooh, that's wonderful. Oh, I'm so satisfied that the house was what it needed to be. All great things. Not in her life. She needed, she needed help. So here's a, here's a practical principle. Don't ever excuse that kind of upendedness if the Lord throws a curveball or there are other people around you that aren't doing what you want them to do or that you feel as though when the night is done, you weren't satisfied with how things came off. You have to stop that. That is a sign that you are not looking to the eternal value of what God wants to accomplish. And he often throws those things sideways, doesn't he? Why does he do that? Why does he, when we have our preparations going so well, go like this? Why? He's keeping us from this problem of excusing where our expectations are going in the sense that they will rule us. It turns to anxiety, it turns to upendedness, it turns not to quiet rest, not to a clean conscience, not to a trust in God's sovereignty, it turns to the sin that you see here. And notice what Jesus says. I mean, here's the, here's the crux of it, the exclamation point. Only a few things are necessary, really only one. <clears throat> Some translations do it like that because the text seems to implicate that he's saying here, Look, all those things, it's fine, but only one thing rules them all, and that's the part Mary chose. Unrivaled devotion to Christ is life's highest priority, so therefore undistracted learning from his word is your highest good. That's it. Never eclipse learning from Christ. Even when you're busy at service, Never eclipse learning from him in the, in the curveballs, in the changing dynamics, in what doesn't get done. Never eclipse the lessons of your personal discipler. Here's the practical sort of outworking. I'll just give it to you in four bullet principles. Here they are. And they all come from what Jesus said and did. One, you confess your need for the word. Mary illustrated her need. She knew her need. She knew her heart. She wanted it. Confess your need for the word. Jesus said this is the one needful thing. Really only one thing is needful. All that other stuff, eh, it comes and goes. It's important, but it's, it's good stuff, not God's stuff. What is God's stuff? The one thing needful. The discipleship of Jesus Christ by his word. Secondly, you got to choose to prioritize it. Jesus said she has chosen the good part. you got to choose it. It's your job to know your heart by the power of the grace of the Spirit of God and to choose. You want to know your heart better? Don't neglect this. Some of you serve 
so sacrificially, so faithfully. It doesn't matter when we call you or how often we call you. You're there rolling up your sleeves. But I want you to ask yourself the question, is all of that merely satisfying my, my desire to get on the other end of all my service and say, I've served the Lord. How satisfied I feel. Be careful. One thing is needful and you've got to choose to prioritize it. Thirdly, pliability. You've got to be pliable as a learner. You sit under the Lord's word pliably. He, she was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet and Jesus says, that's the good part. Good stuff. Thinking, pondering, listening, applying, looking at implications, confessing. This wasn't about I get to sit with Jesus personally and, every, and tell everyone that I'm his personal friend. That is not Mary's issue. She has chosen not to let anything else get in the way of what she's about to hear because she knows she desperately needs it. Jesus says that's a good part. Why? She's pliable. Martha needs some more pliability because she's straining under the whole unfulfilled expectations issue. And lastly, we're to help keep one another under the word. Notice what Jesus says. This will not be taken away from her. (laughs) Don't you dare imagine that our earthly temporal priorities rule even when someone else is under the personal discipleship of the Lord and hasn't necessarily satisfied all your expectations. We are to help one another get in the Word. Jesus helps Mary stay right where she's at. Jesus promotes it. He protects it. He preserves it. And at that point, the story ends, but you, you wish you could almost hear the pots and pans drop to the floor and Mary sit down, or Martha sit down next to Mary and just confess, did I just tell you, Lord, what to do? Over dinner preparations? I love that. You confess your need for the word. You, you prioritize it by choice. By planning. You ask the Lord for a pliable heart. Isn't it true how often we we see these things our own way and yet the only way we can soften and learn and see and not be dull, as Hebrews warns, is to actually come to the Lord with a soft heart and listen to be absorbed in truth and then help one another. Look, of course we have busy lives. You can't sit around and listen to sermons all day and read chapter after chapter after chapter. You can't do that. It would be wonderful if we lived in a time and a day when information traveled a lot slower and we could do all that stuff, but we don't live in that time. We live in the busy lives of our time and hosting people and meeting needs. All that stuff is so necessary. And you know people in this ministry are, they do that better than we've ever known But beloved, we're to, we're to be absorbed in content. We're not to be absorbed in primarily and ultimately in all of those other things that are needful and good. We're to be absorbed in content, truth, the content of the words of Christ. It's our life 
It's more necessary than our daily food. It's certainly higher a priority than expectations for our own level of satisfaction. No act of service rivals it. In fact, the greatest act of service is what Mary was doing, confessing her need, pliable. She was being a learner. Martha was a learner. She just let some other things get in the way. She needed to be more absorbed with the words of Christ. Isn't it just a blessing to see the Lord, by his inspiration, put that in there to remind us? So where are you at? Are you absorbed in content from the discipleship of Christ? Or are other things becoming a danger or an idolatry? Let's bow together. Father, thank you for the sweetness of your precious counsel to our sister in Christ, Martha. We resonate with both of these women at various times in our lives. Sometimes we're at our best, sometimes we're not. And Lord, we have even, every one of us, presumed to tell you what to do. How sad when you've given us everything pertaining to life and godliness and it is so rich, it's magnificent promises. It is our life. Help us to help one another to choose the content over everything else, to choose truth and let it permeate everything else. And even in our service, may we know our hearts, help us by your spirit to know where we're at at each moment. And if we need to put something down, if we need to set aside the things that draw us away, everything's a good priority, but nothing should rival the words from your heart to ours, from your mouth to your people's ears. Help us help one another and keep us from presumptuous sins of trying to tell you how we ought to how we ought to go about serving you. Teach us. Help us be pliable disciples, we pray in your precious name. Amen.